Scene. A curtain opens, revealing a beautiful garden with a swimming pool in a wealthy neighborhood in Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia. The morning light enters through a large window. A man stands in front of a suitcase and a red backpack. He is elegantly dressed in a suit and tie. Scene. March 12, 2020. Curtain is set to open on the 27th annual San Diego Latino Film Festival. But COVID-19 has other plans for the festival. California places a ban on public gatherings of more than 250, and the festival has to cancel on its opening day. Fade out. Welcome back to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Betha Commando. Scene, Fade In, September 17, 2020. San Diego Latino Film Festival relaunches with a virtual edition. Today, I speak with organizers from the San Diego Latino Film Festival about the challenges of moving a festival online and about programming films in this new virtual landscape. First up is the festival's founder and executive director, Ethan Vontilo. I've known him for almost three decades, and there's no one who's been more passionate or dedicated to bringing a diversity of voices to San Diego through film than he is. I'll also speak with Exhibitions Manager Moises Esparza, whose programming choices always delight, surprise, and amaze me. The festival runs through September 27th, with more information at sdlatinofilm.com. But first, I have to take one quick break, and then I'll be back with my interviews with Ethan Vontilo and Moises Esparza. You've been thinking about helping KPBS with a donation. Why not donate that extra car you no longer need? Pickup is free, and you're supporting KPBS Public Media. Here's how. Visit kpbs.careasy.org. Ethan, back in March, I was interviewing you about the start of your festival, and on the day you were supposed to launch the San Diego Latino Film Festival, California gave out the orders that all public gatherings of that size had to cease. So how has this journey been to restaging the festival? It's been incredible. Uh, flexibility is definitely the key. Flexibility, innovation. Uh, honestly, when we spoke back in March, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, by summer we would have a good, you know, in-person events would have started by then. A good rhythm would have happened. We would have been uh, having our educational programs. And we were even talking about having an in-person film festival. But you know, with this pandemic, as we're all living through it every day, it's something's different, right? Every, a new change, a new announcement. And so we decided, yeah, it's best to have a virtual edition of our 2020, 27th San Diego Latino Film Festival. So yeah, September 17th or 27th, it will be a virtual Latino Film Festival, the first one of our kind. That said, we've been doing virtual screenings and film screenings since March uh, with our Digital Gym Cinema, so we're, we've gotten used to it uh, and, you know, we've got used to screening movies online and then also we've got used to uh, the idea of this uh, post-screening Q&As, getting filmmakers engaged and audience members uh, via social media sites like YouTube or Facebook. And that's actually been one of the uh, high points of these past few months is engaging people virtually. 
in having to delay the festival, how has that impacted your programming in terms of the kinds of films you can show? Yeah, yeah. So we thought it was just going to be easy, right? Just, oh, we'll replicate exactly what we did in person in March and September. But no, the reality is that as soon as you start screening things uh, online, there's uh, issues like geo-blocking. You can only screen certain films in certain cities or states or countries. So we can't, can't screen certain uh, films. Also, these films have distributors, obviously, and those distributors needed to move forward. And so the films are now maybe on Netflix or other platforms. And so, yeah, we've lost a good 30, 40 films, uh, which is amazing. Uh, mostly features, of course. Um, that said, the curatorial team, Moises and Juan, have done an amazing job in pivoting and screening what we can. Uh, and then most importantly, to celebrate those films that we are screening, because those are the films that need distribu distribution, right? Those are the films that we should, as local San Diegans, be supporting uh, and try to get these more Latino voices uh, in front of the screens and more directors behind the, the camera. So it's important that we support these independent uh, and maybe smaller films um, that we're screening at this upcoming festival. And what is the online experience going to be for people in terms of do all the films become available at one time and then you get to choose when you watch them or do they become available at specific times during the scheduled festival? Yeah, so we wanted to recreate the festival environment uh, with the virtual version of the San Diego Latino Film Festival. So it's like anything else. You The showtime is seven o'clock, for example, or a certain showtime. You have to see it. Um, you have access to it about an hour before, but then you also have 24 hours to see it. However, we really want you to start watching it within that seven o'clock period or like an hour after the showtime. So you get that experience. And so, yes, every day, different showtimes, different films screening so you watch the movie and then also um, the team has put together a wonderful collection of uh, post Q&A's so we'll have live streams uh, question and answer sessions with the filmmakers and actors on most of the films so check that out too so watch the film at the showtime and then participate in a Q&A afterwards just like you would do at an in-person event. And you mentioned that you've had some time to kind of get into this whole virtual world because Digital Gym Cinema has been moving online and doing screenings. So do you feel that that has given you a little bit of a leg up on this and, and able to kind of package this a little better? Yeah, I mean, I think the film festival is, you know, we, what we've learned these past uh, months uh, in many, uh, many ways, it's not necessarily about the ticket sales, right? Uh, we've learned this whole virtual world is very different than our in-person model. Our whole business model is, uh, you know, upside down, to be honest with you, during this pandemic. And so for us, it's not necessarily about every ticket being sold. It's more about that engagement with all the filmmakers uh, that are participating. We have, again, over 140 movies, different filmmakers, actors that have made these wonderful films. It's about engaging them with local audiences. And so I'm really most excited about that live Q&A and virtual Q&A experience, because to me, that's been the most exciting thing to, to learn about these past few months is engaging people online because people still need that connection. Yeah, we want to be in person, but for now it could be virtual and it's still really powerful. And I think what we found is that these virtual Q&As can be wonderful opportunities for people to engage with filmmakers and especially with filmmakers that otherwise would not be able to travel here to San Diego. So we're going to have people from Mexico City and different parts of the country participating, which is a wonderful experience for our local residents here in San Diego or Baja California region. 
We brought up Digital Gym, and there's something that we haven't yet had to talk about, which is the fact that your physical space on El Cajon Boulevard was forced to close. And for full disclosure, I've been screening films at Digital Gym for the past six years as part of Film Geek San Diego, so I was very sad to see the space close because it was a really lovely, cozy venue for bringing people together to watch films. Yeah, we had a wonderful 10 years at the uh, Digital Gym Cinema space in North Park. I mean, converted an old dilapidated building into this thriving movie theater community technology center that was uh, reaching over 15,000 people a year. It was incredibly um, what we had done these past few years. So yeah, our 10 year lease was up um, anyways. And so it was, it was time for change and we have a great opportunities, which unfortunately we can't announce uh, yet, but we will be moving downtown San Diego and we have a wonderful partner that will be making the official announcement soon and where we're heading. So we're heading to a state of the art facility where we'll have classrooms, we'll have a movie theater. Um, so yeah, sad to see the North Park location leave, but again, the lease was up and it was about change uh, is needed anyway. Ways. And then, of course, we're during this pandemic, we can't screen movies uh, anyways, or we can't have in-class uh, programs anyway. So it kind of made sense. Oh, we'll just wait until 2021 when the new space is open uh, and, uh, you know, have a big celebration when it happens. And when we had spoken back in March, the festival, because it had to cancel on the day it was supposed to start, you were facing some serious financial issues. Uh, how has that been recovering from that? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, the festival was a shock, right? So we had put all this money, you know, into putting this festival and then boom, it just ended. And, you know, most uh, people don't understand the importance of ticket sales or earned income. And so, yeah, when you can't bring in your earned income with the ticket sales, that's a huge shock uh, for an organization such as ourselves. Uh, thankfully, though, we have some vendors that have allowed us to give us credit so we can use that credit for future film festivals. So there's some vendors that are very supportive. Uh, and then also, th thankfully, that there were some uh, loan programs. The PPP loan ha helped us out. Um, and then also so, uh, small grants. The Commission for Arts and Culture had a small grant supporting arts organizations. Uh, the California Humanities um, Academy, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences had a, a surprise grant that helped us out uh, the past few months. So we've been able to get a kind of an infusion of dollars to help us uh, during this time, uh, you know, when we can't do in-person events and we are, can't sell tickets, which is such an important part of our business model over the past 27 years. And do you have any uh, final words about the festival coming up? Well, again, I just want to encourage everyone to come together during this uh, 11 days, um, celebrate Latino culture, uh, celebrate Latino film. Let's get together and talk about these movies, talk about the issues in the movies, celebrate and support these filmmakers. Because remember, uh, it's important to support independent artists and filmmakers during this time of crisis. Um, you know, they're the ones that we need to have keep on creating movies. And so by buying a ticket, you're supporting distributors and supporting artists themselves. And then maybe just participating on, on, the, on the live Q and A's, you know, just encourages them to continue as artists during this difficult time. All right, well, I wanna thank you very much for talking about the San Diego Latino Film Festival, which is returning. Yay, thank you very much. We'll see you at the festival. That was Ethan Bontillo, founder and executive director of the San Diego Latino Film Festival. Now I speak with the festival's exhibitions manager, Moises Esparza. 
Moises, when I spoke to you back in March, the festival was about to kick off and you received notice at the last minute that because of COVID-19, the festival had to be canceled. So what has this process of postponing the festival and trying to remount it in a virtual world been like for you? Well, it's definitely felt like a bit of a scramble and a slog simultaneously. There's been a bit of a steep learning curve, um, but you know we're excited that we are going to be able to screen um, the films that we originally intended to screen in person um, virtually. Um, but the team is really motivated to put on an amazing um, at-home festival experience. And what have been some of the particular challenges of moving online in terms of getting the films you want and being and being able to present them online and streaming? Yeah, so during in-person festivals, exclusivity is always an issue, um, premiere status. So I anticipated some of those to roll over to this virtual experience. Um, and I was right on some of those. Um, some studios and distributors do not want their films to be screened virtually. They're waiting for an in-person um, theatrical release or festival uh, presence, which I completely understand. Um, but, you know, we did wait a couple months to decide whether or not we're going to go virtual or not. And in those couple of months, you know, a lot of things changed for um, some of our films or changed for some of our films as release strategy. So we missed out on screening quite a few titles because they're already available on VOD or they're on a subscription-based uh, streaming platform. Um, so we lost, I would say, about 30 features um, since March um, due to the changing landscape of distribution plans and also um, preferences over in-person versus streaming. Um, so that was definitely quite a bit of a challenge, um, but you know I'm excited that we were able to hold on to two thirds of our futures programming, and uh, the news was even better for our short film uh, sections. Those remain largely unchanged, except for a few titles that have gone on to um, debut on HBO or other platforms. Um, so the features was where we took a larger hit, um, but. Like I said, really thrilled that we have two thirds of our features to share with, uh, with, with, with everyone. And does going online and having to kind of make these adjustments in some ways, does it allow maybe smaller films and films that don't have distributors to maybe take the place of some of those bigger titles that you may have lost? Yeah, absolutely. I think losing some of these bigger titles, and you're right in assuming that these were some of the bigger titles of her film festival, um, in the sense that they might have had um, star presence or a famous director. Um, so I think the loss of those films has definitely given um, some of our smaller films to kind of take the spotlight, which is um, really exciting and I think speaks really um, authentically to what a festival should be about, highlighting um, emergent filmmakers who may not have distribution strategies in place or distribution for that matter. And they're really relying on festivals as sort of their, their lifeline. Um, and in a way, going virtual, it puts them 
almost on an even keel with the other films. Um, and one thing I love about the virtual experience is that it kind of does force audience members to go through the catalog on the website very, very carefully to see what movies they're gonna watch. So I do think that during the in-person festival, people are looking for identifiers as we all are when we find movies. We recognize talent, we recognize directors, we recognize you know different things that appeal to us. Um, and we make really almost like snap judgment decisions on what to watch. Um, so there is something for everyone at our festival. It just takes you know a little bit of time to go through the catalog and, and, and identify those films that appeal um, uh, to specific individuals and in the process kind of reveal some of the gems that you know might have been uh, obscured by or uh, eclipsed by other titles. And if anybody is familiar with attending the festival you usually have programming broken down into sidebars and is that kind of experience going to translate into the virtual world? Will there still be kind of these uh, groupings of films that people can look to? Yes yeah, so on our website we separate our showcase by tags. Um, so we divide our festival programming along different showcases. Um, and within each showcases, there could be anywhere from three to 10 films. Um, and we do this for both our features and our short films. Um, so for example, if you're interested in From Theta Filmmakers, which is our local film sidebar, um, there's a tag option at the top of our film guide that lets you click from that of filmmakers and it filters out every other film except for the from that of films um, so we've done that with all of our uh, showcases um, so if you're into um, horror films umundo extraño would be a great filter for you to use if you're interested in lgbtq plus films um, the somos sidebar would be a great filter option for you um, so I encourage people to pay attention to those tags because those are kind, those are kind of our way of um, nudging people in the direction of uh, interesting themes and topics that we think would appeal to them. And in programming films, sometimes as you're doing it each year, themes kind of arise overall for the festival. Did you notice anything this year in terms of trends or themes or anything that kind of had an overlay to the festival this year? You know, every year um, I do notice maybe themes or similar themes and sensibilities among our movies. This year I think what was really captivated, captivating were similar um, visual motifs that I think indicate unrest and in a way revolution. We see it in films like Pablo Larraín's Emma um, from Chile, where his protagonist essentially carries around a flame torture and lights things on fire in her city. Um, and it's meant to be not only destructive, but cathartic. Um, another fire motif is in identifying features or Cinceñas Particulares, which is a really beautiful film from Mexico about a woman who goes on on a search really it's really an odyssey to find her son who has made the choice to um, cross over to the united states and in her journeys she has um this very existential experience with a fire being and the film crosses over into the realm of maybe the fantastical for a bit but 
I think in a way, um, or similar to melodramas where you have flourishes of, of, of color or music um, to maybe act as um, emotional catharsis of what's on screen. You definitely get that from the sequences where fire is, is, is utilized. Well, not so much playing up on that visual motif, but on the sense of revolution, you actually have a documentary about Mexico in 1976. Yes, Oblatos um, el Vuelo que Surco la Noche is, it's a documentary that's so, so impressive in its scale and scope and composition. And it plays out like a thriller, you know, it's just so heart stopping every step of the way. And it's essentially about um, a prison escape and what's perhaps considered, or I can create a close parallel to Mexico's own version of Alcatraz or Alcatraz prison in San Francisco, where, uh, and in Mexico, this jail in, in Guadalajara is the site where a lot of revolutionaries or um, people who are advocating for change are imprisoned and they stage an escape. And, you know, it is, such a stunning real story and the way the documentary is you know is is put together is of the highest caliber and it's essentially a fight for a fight for freedom and justice um so it's a documentary that i really really uh, recommend it really makes excellent use of archival materials because seeing some of these people today contrasted with what they were like as students was very striking and compelling. Absolutely. Whenever a documentary um, has has resources to use the archival footage, it not only lends um, itself to authentic authenticating the story, but creates really fascinating parallels between the past and present. Um, so you're right in, in saying that the archival footage is you know, it is it, really illuminating. And, you know, I think this documentary, I think, relies so heavily on it uh, to tell its story. And it does so incredibly successfully, um, instead of relying on a lot of talking heads, which, you know, doesn't make for the most visually stimulating viewing. Um, and the archival footage that this documentary employs um, is, really is really really impressive well i think there was one point at which they're looking through a photo album and it collects pictures of the people at different points in their life and you see like three or four photos of a person and kind of how they visually look different to you just like there's a whole narrative just in a series of still images there that was very impressive yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the director, Acelo Ruiz Villanueva, has such a keen eye uh, for time and space, but also for letting still images in a way speak for themselves, incorporated into the moving images. Um, and he really lets these still images tell, tell their own story, um, which, you know, is kind of an exercise in, in patience and understanding and I think many times we're caught, caught up with the pacing of a film or the editing of a film that sometimes these 
um, still images are really, really impactful. And in talking about this sense of catharsis, there is a, a, a sidebar, your um, Un Mundo Extraño, which tends to focus on horror. And there's a film in that called Feral, which was amazing. And that kind of goes to a religious and a kind of psychoanalysis sense of catharsis and and explores it in that kind of a realm. Yeah, Ferran is, well, such a, an impressive um, horror film um, that I'm so glad we're including in our festival this year. Mi nombre es Juan Felipe de Jesús González y la fecha de hoy es 23 de agosto de 1987. Esta es la primera grabación que hago con esta cámara para documentar el proceso que llevaré con el niño. When you're watching it, it feels like a documentary, which, you know, I think really lends this tale, um, or, or really gives this, this, this film um, a really strong sense of gravitas and in its exploration of how oppression through the church and in being indoctrinated in religion, what that does to an individual um, in this case. Um, and the film is essentially about um, uh, a man who lives kind of on the outskirts in the countryside um, of near a rural village in Mexico. And um, he finds two feral kids in the woods and he takes them in and these kids are are wild you know and they've never um received education they've never been indoctrinated in religion um so you see the process of him trying to impose these things on these children who just refuse to respond in the way that he wants them to respond and as the doc as i call almost called it a documentary as the film goes on um you see the onion peeling back and you get to see, learn a little bit more about his backstory and then the role that the town plays in this larger mystery. Um, and oftentimes um, these kind of, um, it, it plays a little bit like a found footage film. Um, and those can be, I think, a little bit disoriented, disoriented and structured. Um, but Feral is really tightly and beautifully composed that even though you know, it has the feeling of a found footage documentary, it is a really tight, tight story, both narratively, but also visually. One of the things I always appreciate about the Latino Film Festival is that as programmers, you guys really do look to films that can push the envelope and kind of push people a little, a little out of their comfort zone. And Un Mundo Extraño is a perfect example of kind of some of that programming. Are there other films you'd like to highlight from that? Yeah, so we are definitely envelope pushers. Um, at least I try to be with some of my programming selections. Um, I hope to push individuals to explore new sensibilities, different, different modalities. It's kind of like broad on the spectrum of what they perceive to be a good or acceptable film. Um, so one of those films that I think is boundary pushing um, is called Divine Love. It's a Brazilian film by uh, Gabriel Mascaro, um, who is a really talented director, also known for uh, Neon Bull, which we screened um, at the Digital Gym Cinema a few 
a few years ago. Um, but Divine Love also deals with the topic of religion and it does so in the, it places religion in the context of the not so far into the future Brazil and how um, religious oversellacy in a way has taken over society and controlled every aspect of, of, um, of the way of life. And you see how that affects um, a woman who works in a very bureaucratic environment who wants to get pregnant but finds that the system that she that she's living in you know is really prohibitive to her um, achieving her goals and all that may not sound that boundary pushing and experimental but when you start watching the film you know from the first few frames that you're gonna see something like you've never seen before um, so this film is divine love and I highly highly recommend it um, um, but you know it's a really impressive film from Gabriel Mascaro. Well I thought it was interesting because it's a science fiction film with religious overtones and kind of blends those two worlds in ways that are not necessarily what you expect. Yeah the science fiction um, style stylings of the films are you know they're a bit subdued and I think the the fact that the film is um, based um, in the near future Brazil kind of lets lets the film um, use perhaps some uh, technological technological advancements that you know we foresee being a reality um, in the future. And I think the film offers a pretty um, biting critique of what some of these advancements may do to us as a society. And ultimately, maybe the filmmaker is trying to say that technological advancements and religious celibacy perhaps are two things that are going to be in constant battle with one another. And just so people know that there are also films that are escapist fair kind of, and also uh, just entertaining. There was one that I really enjoyed, a uh, Picado original, which is, it's like a romantic comedy, but with a little smarter edge to it than you can sometimes get. And, and a, a real sense, a savvy sense of, of humor and satire to it as well. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I really love uh, Pecado Original or, or Original Sin. Um, it strikes me almost as a comedy of manners um, that you know just aren't maybe made that frequently um, anymore. Um, it has a slight screwball edge, which I definitely appreciate. And you're right in that it's accessible in its perhaps premise. But when you're watching it, it really does maybe push at the boundaries of what a romantic comedy is in the modern era. And the setup is is in a way very simple. A, um, I would say, a repressed woman hires uh, an artist to paint a painting. And what she receives is not what is intended, but it's, it creates uh, a bit of a awakening within her when she sees this painting. And she, you know, becomes instantly attracted to the artist, which leads to complications between her and her husband. And um, throughout the film, you see what society is doing to a protagonist in terms of setting up these patriarchal um, expectations of how a wife should behave. Um, and you see her, in a way, push back on all those ex expectations throughout the film. Um, so Picado Original is just, you know, 
it it's a lot of fun, but I think it's also very, very substantial. And it's clever um, and comical and, you know, very, very intellectual. Yeah, I agree. And you bring up the role of an artist here as kind of, uh, in this case, a bit unintentionally provoking a response. But you have a number of films in which art does help people either through catharsis or just uh, as a means of expression in a number of the films that you've got this year? Well, you know, I always hope that the films that we screen do inspire some sort of catharsis or awakening within our viewers. Um, the ones that, we, that we've discussed definitely um, have aspects of, uh, of this cathartic, cathartic nature. And you see that throughout the documentaries and features um, that we're screening and even short films. Um, another film called Seneca is about a bit, it, it, it's about an artist, an actor who's kind of in stasis or who's in pause, you know, he doesn't feel like his career is, is going anywhere. The film is based in, based in New York. Um, uh, it tells of a very specific Puerto Rican experience that I think will really connect with our viewers. And it's about an artist who may have lost their place in life and their career isn't where they hope it would be and their family life isn't where they, would, they hoped it would be. Um, but through a series of encounters, this artist enters a state of catharsis and the new stage of his life. Um, so in a way, I think the cathartic nature of her films speak to what we're going or what we're going through as a society during these uh, times of the pandemic. Um, we're all at home, um, hopefully sheltering in place and staying healthy. But I think we're all seeking a cathartic, a, a catharsis. We're seeking um, a reawakening or to be reborn back into society. And I think our films provide a perfect outlet for, for these times because you get to not only lose yourself in these narratives, but to also maybe display some of your emotions or pent up emotions onto these characters and go on the journey with them. And hopefully that provides alleviation. I hope that provides escapism and a reminder that you know, there's, there's life beyond what we're experiencing right now, despite how restrictive it may be. Um, and, you know, we're, as a festival, we're trying to stick with the times, we're trying to stay with what's, what's happening in society. Um, this at-home experience we think will be the most safe for everyone. Um, and I hope that you invite us into your homes and allow yourselves to be entertained, to be moved, and to be taking, taken on these cathartic journeys. And one of the films that kind of addresses that a bit more overtly is, uh, I'm not sure I can pronounce the Spanish name, but I Miss You, in which a playwright is really examining the process of writing a play. And this one is cathartic in the sense of dealing with grief and loss. Art is the only light that tells the truth. Mm. On that note. Yeah, that Two Way Monks is one of the most complex and just impressive films that I've seen 
at the festival in all my years of programming. Um, it is so unexpectedly moving. Um, I mean, it, not to overshare, but it, it moved me to tears. This movie is so connected to the experience of, of the characters um, who, one of them is also, you know, you know, the setup is in response to an oppressive environment. I think it's definitely a film that you should enter knowing very little about because the journey that you get taken on is, you know, unlike anything, you know, I think that we screen as a festival and there is a catharsis at the end, but then the, the rug gets pulled out from under you in the last few frames of the film and you're kind of in a new disorienting place, which I think was perhaps the intention of, of the film, um, that things changed very quickly in life and we have to learn to adapt to, to our new circumstances. Um, and the film, uh, To My Monks, is so, so beautifully done. Um, and, you know, I'm so excited that our audience is going to be able to, to see that movie. And we haven't addressed documentaries, but you are showcasing some documentaries as well, including one on one of my favorite actors, uh, the late Raul Julia. Yes, so we're screening... Um, a documentary called Raul Julia, um, Lives of Stage, which is directed by Ben de Jesus. And he, wow, he did such an, he created such an impressive portrait of um, Raul Julia, um, an actor of Puerto Rican origin who from New York City was a trailblazer in the theater scene and then on film um, and whose acting skills were are really really unparalleled and the feature uh, the feature documentary offers so much personal insight into Raul Julia and you know I have to say that I came away very very enlightened and I thought I knew a lot about Raul Julia but this documentary reveals an entire new or entire new layers of his persona and the impact that he had on not only Puerto Rican actors, but Latino and Latino actors of this generation and beyond. Um, so this portrait of Raul Julia is truly, truly unmissable, I'd say. Well, I wanna thank you for sharing some of the films that are gonna be at the festival. I am so looking forward to seeing some of these and more. Uh, let people know where they can find information about the films. Yes, everyone can find information about our film festival, including the schedule and tickets, if they go to sdlatinofilm.com or you can find our information on our social media pages or Latino Film on Facebook and SD Latino Film Festival on Instagram. All right, well, thank you very much and best of luck. Thank you. That was Moises Esparza, Exhibitions Manager for the San Diego Latino Film Festival. The festival runs through September 27th online. Thanks for listening to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Halloween is fast approaching, and I'll have a special horror treat for you in October. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.